please turn in your Bible to First John four seven through eleven. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves him has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is love, how God shows showed his love among us. He sent this one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Yeah, I feel like she does deserve an applause for that. That was that was very good. It's a pretty meaty passage for a little girl, but you did very well. Thank you. The students, again, have chosen love as their theme and uh, this morning, so that's why Autumn read that passage, and we'll, we'll think about that for just a few moments here. More than 25 years ago, my, when my big son Andrew was just a little boy, not very old, we took him to the fair in the little town in northern Idaho where we were living. Every year they had a fair in that little logging town. They called it Paul Bunyan Days with logging shows and fireworks and lots of unhealthy food. A traveling carnival would come in and they would set up amusement park rides and we took Andrew to the fair when he was four and he rode and rode and rode those little rides and and he ate junk food. He loved it. He wanted to ride more and more and more. But eventually, we came to the end of the tickets. I told Andrew, we have money enough left for one more ride. Well then, he answered quite matter-of-factly, we can get more money. (laughs) And so I asked him, this little four-year-old son of mine, Andrew, where can we get some more money? And without missing a beat, he said, from the store. We should go to the store and get money. Then we can ride more and more. That's where money comes from, from the store. Where does love come from? Well, that's a question, isn't it? I decided to ask Google. I typed in, where does love come from? Question mark. And the answer came back almost immediately, filled with words like limbic system and neural transmitters and hypothalamus. To its credit, Google did add that the origin of love is one of life's great mysteries, but not really. Love comes from God. That's what Autumn just read for us, isn't it? Love comes from God, and in fact, God is love, she read. 
And God demonstrated his love. He showed us his love by sending Jesus so that we might live forever. Of course, he sends his love to us in thousands of other ways too, like beautiful vistas and wonderful food and satisfaction and joy and friends to share life with. But the greatest demonstration of his love, his most public display of affection for us, is that he sent us Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. If you've ever wondered whether you are truly loved, well, God settled that question a long, long time ago. He gave us Jesus to erase all of our foul-ups, to cleanse all of our impurity, to take away all of our shame, to adopt us into his family, and to give us life, abundant, full, complete, never-ending. In another place, it says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for a winsome response from us or before he laid down his life. He just did it in order to get a response from us, our hearts. And Jesus said there is no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. That's the greatest expression of it, to die so that somebody else might live. Now, military people, they understand this. The military confers very high and very special honor upon a soldier who has laid down his life so that his buddies might not be killed, so that they might be saved. They call it courage and bravery and selflessness, but Jesus called it love, and that's exactly what he did for us. And he did it while we were still hateful toward him, we rebellious human beings, while we still despised him, while there was still enmity between him and us, while we, were, while we were his enemies, he loved us. Love comes from God. That's where it comes from. Because God is love. So the whole mechanism upon which the universe operates, all the principles of existence are derived from love. Love not only makes the world go round, it makes everything go. How many of you believe that? If you believe that, raise your hand. Okay, so you, uh, you may be in the majority of, believe, of, of people here if you believe that, but you're not in the majority of people nowadays in the culture we live in, because more and more today, people don't. They don't. Concepts like love and beauty and altruism, they are simply dismissed as some of life's great mysteries, some dimly understood product of electrochemical reactions in a brain, but certainly not something that comes to us directly from God and that forms the groundwork of all reality. Why is that? Is it because the majority of people have consciously chosen to reject God? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Maybe it has something to do with what we would call a worldview. And that brings me to what I want to talk with you about this morning on Adventure Investiture Sabbath and, and Mountain View Christian School Sabbath. We'll pose it as a question. Why do we run things like adventure clubs and operate our school? To run a school takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of money, takes loads of commitment. To send your daughter or your son to school requires a sacrifice on your part. Why do we do that? There are some good reasons. 
There is the academic reason. We send our kids to school because we want them to become proficient at reading and writing and math and science so that they will be competent in life. And the data show, the standardized test results show, that our schools in general and Mountain View Christian School in particular score well above the national averages in in academics, well above the national averages. Thank you, Michelle and Aaron, who's not here. And so it's just a smart thing to do to send your kids to Adventist schools if you want a solid academic education for your child. There are other reasons. There are teacher-student ratios. I mean, where else are you going to find a ratio of, of five to one? You just won't. There is the avoidance rationale to avoid some of the thorny issues common to government-run schools. But I think there is a much more fundamental and much more critical reason for choosing Christian schools, and that has to do with worldview. What is a worldview? A worldview is a particular philosophy of life or conception of the world. It is a set of mental filters by which we interpret reality and evaluate everything we experience. It's the glasses we wear to see the world. So let me illustrate this. Here's a picture taken some years back, quite a few years back, in fact. That, that is Colette and Amelia. This is the same Amelia who is now almost two days shy of being a senior at Walla Walla University. This photograph was taken on a ski day at Sugarloaf Mountain in Maine. They're both wearing all their ski gear, including their goggles. Goggles keep the wind out of your eyes when you ski, but they also do something else. They color the world. Notice their goggles for a moment. Guess what color the world looks to Amy? It looks red, doesn't it? The world is really not colored exclusively in shades of red, is it? It's not. But that's how it looks to Amy. How about Colette? Yeah, she likes a green world. She's a gardener. They're both looking at the same world, multicolored reality, but they each see it, they each see it in different mono shades of color, so they each perceive it differently. Now, they make ski goggles with all kinds of different colors. I wore blue ones. The world is going to appear different to you depending on the lens color in your ski goggles. A worldview is a little bit like wearing ski goggles. People with different worldviews see the same world, but they see it differently and they interpret it differently. Notice Amy's goggles again. They're red. When Amy first puts them on, things look unusually red to her for a little while. But then a funny thing starts to happen. She begins to subconsciously adjust her perception so that after a few quick runs down the mountain and slow rides back up on the lift, she doesn't notice the red shift so much anymore. In fact, her red world begins to look more and more normal until she takes them off. And then it's reality that appears odd. Because the mask has distorted reality to a certain extent and she acclimates to that. Of course, not everybody wears ski goggles, but everybody has a worldview. 
this inherent set of philosophical filters, this bias to perceive reality according to a preconceived set of beliefs and assumptions. Everybody has a worldview, but we don't consciously think of our worldview any more than Amy thinks about her red goggles while she's skiing down the mountain. We just assume that what we perceive is the way it really is. We assume that the way we see it is the correct way, the right way. Truth, in other words. Now, it's obvious, isn't it, that worldview has a profound effect on how we live our lives? Our worldview determines our opinions on all sorts of different things, nearly everything, in fact. Matters of ethics, politics, I mean, what I consider to be right or wrong, good or bad, shameful or charming. For instance, what I, what I believe about abortion or euthanasia or gender identity or same-sex relationships or economic policy or environmental ethics all depends upon my underlying worldview more than anything else. Worldview plays a central and defining role in our lives. Does this make sense to you? So let's think about one predominant uh, worldview among people today in our culture. Naturalism. It's a very common worldview, especially among the educated classes of people. Naturalism simply means that everything happens by natural principles. The universe is a closed physical system. The laws of science form the boundaries of everything that exists. Nothing exists outside of that. There is no God. There is no supernatural. Human beings are merely accidental products of time and chance, and therefore there is no overarching meaning or purpose of life. And when we die, that's it. Things like love are merely chemical phenomenon or neurological artifacts. Postmodernism is another popular worldview closely, closely related to naturalism. Truth is relative. It's whatever works. And therefore, moral standards and truth and acceptable behaviors are ultimately of human construction. In other words, we decide. There's no ultimate right or wrong. Certainly no transcendent standard. On the other hand, there is something called a biblical worldview which is a radically different set of assumptions and beliefs that form the framework for living life. A biblical worldview acknowledges that there is a God who does transcend the natural world, that he is beyond science as far as our ability to understand it is concerned, and that life, including human beings, didn't come about by accident, but rather was carefully designed and magnificently created for a purpose, and that purpose is love. Human beings are not accidents. They have a profound purpose and a glorious destiny. And when I interpret life through that kind of framework, I find a dignity about human life that informs how I think about people especially the weakest and the most vulnerable people. And it also informs my behavior. Love becomes something truly transcendent and relational and calls me to a high and holy responsibility. We have been called to respond to God's love, which he has lavished upon us by loving him in return and by loving each other. This worldview also tends to confront me with my own fallenness 
and it provides a satisfying response to the most perplexing questions, such as the presence of suffering in the world. It teaches that God has revealed us, revealed himself to us through his Son and by giving us a book of self-disclosure that we call the Bible. Of these two worldviews, naturalism and the biblical worldview, they are not compatible. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And they inform radically, they, they form radically different agendas for how we live, how we think, how we relate and respond to those around us, where we're going, what we hope for, where we find happiness. So which one is right? Which of these is the more accurate description of reality? I would argue it would be the biblical worldview. Of course, you would expect that, wouldn't you? I'm a preacher. Uh, I am a leader of a church that attempts to follow the teachings of Jesus, and I am in church right now. This summer, I'm going to share with you a series of messages uh, in which I will defend that, that belief, though. And I will try to, to, to reason with you that the biblical worldview is, in fact, the most reasonable and sensible and rational choice among the popular worldviews today. But this morning, I will just assume that most of you agree with me because you are here in church as well. Okay? And uh, so if you agree that a biblical worldview is the better choice, then we'll return to the ski goggle illustration for just a moment. I would argue that a biblical worldview is analogous to skiing with clear lenses. It, it allows all the colors to come through. It describes reality in the most genuine, most non-distorted way. It provides the most satisfying, reasonable, and consistent answers to the most perplexing questions of life. So, what does all this have to do with Christian education and choosing a Christian school? Well, it all comes down to worldview. Because worldview is not so much a thing that we choose early on. Some of us do choose our worldviews later on. I made a radical shift in mine when I was in my 20s because, frankly, at that point, it became obvious to me that it, it made a lot more sense to, to choose a biblical worldview than a naturalistic worldview. But initially, a worldview is not something we choose. It is something bestowed on us at a very, very young age. It is given to us by our families, by our cultures, and by the schools that we attend. It is developed and reinforced or altered as we grow and mature and experience our world. So choosing a school is just hugely important because the school is going to shape the worldview to a great extent. So let's just think about public schools for a moment. One of the original reasons for establishing public schools was that the government and the community believed that there was significant benefit to education not only for the wealthy, but for everybody. In fact, our American founders believed that the kind of government they gave to America would only be successful over the long haul if people were both educated and moral. That's why in the early days of our nation, public education was done primarily through the church. 
The books were often written and printed by pastors, and there was a very close link between the immediate church community and the public education being provided. Why was that again? Because it was not only an academic education that was desired, but a moral one as well. Of course, that relationship between church and public school has long since been discontinued. In fact, God has been exiled from government education today out of a desire on many people's part to keep the church from intruding into the public square. Originally, that was on account of, a, on account of the idea of fairness, okay? And who doesn't want it to be fair? There are many religious groups coexisting in America today, hopefully peacefully, and the idea was that a state church should not be established by the government. So the intent was to treat every group with a kind of equal fairness. In the educational arena, this meant that no particular group be given a special preference. Preferential treatment. And so on the face of it, this seems to be consistent with our American sense of justice and fairness. But that's not how it's worked out. What it has come to mean is that Christianity has no particular benefit over, say, Judaism or Islam or Hinduism or pantheism or any other faith system. Government-run education today is mandated and designed to be religious, to be not religiously oriented in any way. It is to be neutral. But there's a fundamental problem with that, and you know what the problem is, don't you? There is no such thing as a neutral education. Every educational system has a certain framework of assumptions that undergird it. In other words, every educational system is based on a particular worldview. If we say, we will educate our children without reference to God in order to be fair to those who don't believe in God, then we are going to get a certain perspective on truth, a certain worldview of reality that eliminates all the information that we might get from God. Now, in subject matter like mathematics or Newtonian physics, that may not be a very big deal at first. But in fields like biology or ethics, it is profoundly significant. In fact, if God truly does exist then we are divorcing all the information we are learning from its ultimate foundation. Now, here's what I mean. God either exists or he doesn't. It can't be both ways. If he does exist, then we know that the sphere of his influence is not just limited to the church. God reigns over the entire creation. He reigns over mathematics. He's the creator of it. He reigns over psychology. He is the one who made the human mind. He reigns over biology and band and spelling and woodshop, or else he is not God. So if God exists and you try to master these disciplines, divorced from any reference to him, you will get a distorted view of reality. Now I want you to think about the goggles again for just a moment. The way they work is kind of counterintuitive. We assume that they work by addition. You put the red goggles on, the red lens adds a red hue to everything we see. But that would be incorrect. They work by subtraction. They work by cutting the amount of yellow and blue light that gets through so that only the red light is hitting your eyes. 
In effect, when Amy puts the red goggles on, she is filtering out all the yellows and all the blues that are actually there. She's ignoring them. She is blind to them. And she's seeing a distorted perception of reality. Public education works the same way. It filters out the divine. And the result is you get a distorted perception of reality. Therefore, you will not be ultimately competent in life. On the other hand, if God does not exist, then the Christian worldview is the distorted one based on mythology rather than fact. It's got to be one way or the other. There is no middle ground here. We can't just say, well, I'll be neutral, because by choosing neutrality, we've stopped being neutral. We've made a decision. We have said, God is out of bounds here. And everything we teach, everything, will be filtered by that assumption. And for the students, the naturalistic worldview is reinforced. When you reinforce it over and over and over It becomes locked in. And that's why the older a person gets, the harder it is to accept Jesus. That's why the best bang for your buck from a Christian perspective is with younger people whose minds, whose worldviews are still somewhat plastic. So, which one will it be? This is not just an academic matter with no real consequences. When you choose a worldview, you are betting your life on it. You're betting your children's lives on it. So you better be right. That's why we operate a school. That's why we operate a school. Because worldview is everything. Yes, we do better academically than government-run schools. Yes, our student-teacher ratios are better and the than the public system. Yes, we put more more limits on access to risky substances and risky behaviors. And yes, there are some things that public schools do better than we do. But the big reason we run a school and an adventure club and a Pathfinder organization is because we are attempting to instill into our students a solid biblical worldview, a system of truth, a filter by which they can evaluate everything that they will experience in life in terms of genuine reality by truth not divorced from its foundation so that they will be as well equipped as they can be for competency, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Okay, that's all. We're going to sing our song. I'm going to invite the the student body from our school to come back up and we are going to sing Jesus Loves Me. It's number 190 in your books. Dear Jesus, thank you for everyone who made it here today. Please help us to have safe travels home. We praise you for our church family. Please help it to grow. Help us to honor you for the rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen.